I'd called my wife on it before, like three or four weeks ago. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was entertaining me because she didn't know that I was, she didn't know what I was testing. So I called her like two or three times. I didn't quite have it set up right yet. And she's like, hello, I can't hear anything. Paul, did you butt dial me? Uh, welcome, listeners, to another Montreal sauce. I'm Chris, the friendly ghost and host. Um, if you're thinking, is that weird that you can see me, but this is a podcast? Uh, don't worry, you're not crazy. It's quite possible that I'm glowing in your frontal lobe because I've had two x-rays in the last two days. Uh, <laughs> so my uh, luminous co-host is Paul. Sir, you can go ahead and insert your overshare for the evening. Oh, sure. Uh, let's see. What do I have to overshare? Uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't eaten dinner and I'm uh, and I'm starving and I'm in my pajamas. How's that? Nice. Awesome. All right. And tonight we have with us um, one of the minds behind death to the stock photo dot com. Uh, David Sherry, who is on a road trip to D.C. right now, and he decided to join us. So, uh, David, uh, we uh, we don't. Uh, we don't get all technical like an NPR show or anything. So I like to have the guests introduce themselves. Like you can represent you better sure. than I could. Sure. And do I get to overshare also? To, yes. To get started? Yes. Okay. Well, I am currently uh, on the road to Washington, D.C. I'm in a tunnel in uh, West Virginia right now. I just left the desktop and I had Wendy's for dinner. That's my overshare type show. But uh, yeah, basically, uh, you mentioned Death with Stock Photo. That is my most recent. Uh, like startup project started last July, um, so a little bit over a year old. Um, I had graduated uh, a few months before that last year, actually with an economics degree, which is kind of funny. Um, and uh, I launched a lot of just a bunch of different kind of creative projects and startup ideas all through college, um, and finally kind of found the one that stuck a little bit, uh, and that's led me to kind of where I am now. So. Uh, happy to give you an overview of the business or anything like that if you want to start that way uh, or I can talk to you about kind of the whole process leading up to that. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess that'd be a good idea is to introduce exactly what uh, Death to the Stock photo is. Sure, so essentially for the first six months it was just an email list where uh, me and my partner Allie were basically just sharing photos from our library or our Dropbox account or places we traveled to people in the creative community that were our friends and peers and uh, basically it was just every month we would deliver high quality images to their inbox for them to do whatever they wanted. So uh, basically kind of the pain we saw was that a lot of times creatives work with uh, clients, be it businesses or they're sharing on social media and they create something really awesome, but it's really tough for them to always have high quality imagery to pair their work with. Um, so it really, it started pretty humbly. It was just me and my partner just sending the images to people, just saying, you know, hey, is this useful? Um, and after about six months, we had a lot of traction on the email list and realized uh, maybe it was something we should pursue further. And so at this point, it's still the free email list where uh, we deliver, you know, imagery to people's inboxes, but it's also a premium web app that people sign into and basically can browse uh, a whole library of content from uh, all under one license, uh, and yeah, pretty simple and, and cheap. So yeah, that's that's where the business is right now. Awesome. Yeah, I um, I actually uh, I don't I can I was trying to remember how I exactly found it. I'm sure it must have been someone's tweet, but uh, yeah, I was using it for quite a while, and I'm I'm a fan of a, a silly. Um, sort of spam mailbox thing I've been using for probably 10 years now. And uh, uh, apparently I got dropped off the mailing list. So I contacted David and said, hey, I'm not getting photos. And uh, he was like, what the heck? So that began our conversation. And then David actually uh, called me to ask me about the product. Uh, that That's kind of what happened, uh, how I got to know David. Um and we ended up talking for quite some time, and I don't think you were home then either, were you? No, no. I was also on the road at that point. Um, and maybe this is a good time to kind of talk about some more of, like, the genesis, I guess, because travel is like a big piece of it. Uh, so basically, like, when I graduated, I had been freelancing even before graduation, but 
my kind of goal was to figure out how to get sponsored to or get paid, especially to travel. Uh, and so I kind of had this scheme that was I wanted to pitch companies to sponsor me to travel in return for creating high-quality content for them. So my thesis was, you know, as like Pinterest and Instagram and all these really visual-based networks were taking off, companies were having a really hard time filling the amount of content they need to fill in all those social channels every day. So, you know, the role of the social media marketer at these companies is like, okay, you need to be on Pinterest, you need to be on Instagram, you need to be tweeting all the time. Like, kind of how do you have enough content all the time to share? So that was a problem I kind of saw starting to happen in the market. And I thought, you know, maybe I could pitch myself as this content-generating machine. And if a company was about to travel for about six months around the country, I uh, would just essentially create content for them on demand, tell stories, uh, even write for them a little bit. And so my goal, like even prior to starting up with Black Photo, was figuring out how to travel, how to get paid, I guess, while I was traveling, and how to solve this problem of not enough high-quality content. So I actually pitched... Uh, some of the bigger companies here in Columbus, a few companies out west, and uh, gave them the, you know, just give me a small budget. I'll travel for six months with the unlimited content, and uh, it'll be awesome. And basically every company uh, said no, which ultimately uh, ended up being a good thing uh, because basically what I realized was, okay, I'm pitching these companies in this problem. They don't have enough high-quality content. It also makes sense that my peers, other freelancers, other creatives, have the same problems as the companies have just on a smaller scale. So from the beginning, the whole kind of concept started from how can I travel around, uh, you know, creating content, uh, and then it kind of morphed into this, like, supplying content to my peers. Um, and then af- after actually about six months of running Death of the Stock Photo, we actually crowdfunded a five-city road trip. Uh, and so it kind of came full circle because our community actually funded uh, a trip around the country that helped us supply content to them instead of the big brands. So travel has definitely been kind of like a thread throughout, uh, I guess, the, the history of the company. So where are you on your way to right now? Yeah, so right, so the trip that we took that was crowdfunded from our community, that was uh, earlier in May. And so the trip I'm taking right now is not uh, exactly a piece of that kind of road trip. It's just that we're done with that now. Um, but traveling is still kind of something I'm trying to do as much as I can. Of. So uh, I'm heading to D.C. to see some friends, but also there's the Global Institute on Saturday, and I'm going to that uh, in D.C. I'm sorry, what was that you're going to? Oh, uh, the Global Institute, which is oh, like okay. people who get together from Instagram. Yep. Oh, cool. So you are um, headed to that. And then, yeah, like you said, you did um, a road trip that uh, your community funded. And uh, where did you end up going? I remember seeing the blog post. Yeah, so uh, we went to uh, Chicago, New York City, Seattle, uh, Big Sur, which is in California, and then Nashville. Um, so the pitch to our audience at that point was uh, basically if you back a, a trip to these cities, you'll get all the content that you create. So like I said, it's really similar to the pitch that I had to companies. It was just to like, a larger community and put them Nice. And then did you uh, also, um, I think I've heard too that you've also picked up content from others besides uh, you and your partner, Allie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so something we kind of realized after our road trip finished is like, okay, we had like a really awesome experience through our community taking this trip. We kind of wanted to let other people have access to that same kind of platform to get seen and, uh, you know, accomplish creative goals or travel a bit. Uh, so we've actually collaborated with a few other photographers in a kind of similar manner and helped fund some of their trips uh, and also just expose some of their work to our email list uh, to kind of show, yeah, show their imagery and, and give them exposure. Nice. That's So you're sort of uh, building a community and then sort of a catalog as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've been kind of building our catalog, which is, or the premium app since we started. 
Uh, and that's kind of all gone into that library. Uh, and now through kind of working with some other photographers too, it's kind of helped, helped fill that. Uh, but also we've been kind of building the catalog and library since the beginning and uh, through collaborating with some other photographers that kind of helped build that as well. Um, because uh, it's, it's tough to really have a large library that fills a lot of different needs. I think that's something we're uh, trying to figure out how to process all along. Nice. And then the recent campaign you did was the Choose Your Truth. And uh, that really, really caught my eye because it's kind of something that we ended up doing here on Montreal Sauce is you guys sort of reached out and sort of interviewed a lot of creatives and a lot of makers who make things. Um, do you have any share, stories to share about that? Yeah, I think the idea behind that was we were just like really interested in people uh, or inspired by people who had kind of created their own way of doing things or created their own path. So all the people we interviewed were people that like literally just created their own segment in the market. Um, I think Megan Grover is a good example of that. She's like kind of like part designer, part brand advocate, part blogger. Uh, and she's been able to actually travel with us through partnering with brands uh, to kind of do some fun campaigns with them. Um, so, yeah, we're just, like, really inspired by people who kind of have created their own job, essentially, and created their own lifestyle. And so the the whole campaign was really based around that concept and based on, like, kind of living, like, the non-stock lifestyle, the non-standard uh, way of doing things. So do you think of this as um, – do you think of this as more or less a lifestyle business? This is a business that is enabling you to do all of this travel. And at the same time you get to express yourself by making all this great content and then beyond, you know, taking it a step beyond that you get to create this community around it. Or is this more like, um, this is a startup and it's going to become a really big thing or you're hoping it's going to become a really big thing, like where where does this live on that spectrum, or does it not really matter as long as you get to do what you love? No, that's a really, really good question, and one that we ask ourselves all the time. Uh, Allie and I are both like super intentional about uh, kind of where we want things to go and also what type of lifestyle we want as a part of that. I do think we sit somewhat in the middle there, uh, maybe that's just because we haven't really fully committed to either one. Um, I think we know that, like, our I guess our brand and the culture of the company has values that we want to stick to. But I also think we're both ambitious and want to see, like, really high growth and really high impact. Um, so, I, yeah, it's definitely, that's something we ask ourselves every day and it's a really good question. Um, but I think just for, for us and for other people, it's like, as long as you're being intentional about which direction it is and as long as you're kind of going with the gut feeling on that, I don't think you're really going to regret which half, what, you know, which way it happens. So we just want to know that if it does go down one path, let's choose to do that. And then when it happens, it's like be glad that that was the path that we chose for ourselves rather than like just kind of letting it go off in a different direction. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess the answer that I'd say it fits kind of in the middle where we want it to promote uh, this type of lifestyle for ourselves. We want to leverage the platform that it's let us uh, create, but also we want to have really high impact, really large uh, growth. Yeah, I mean, I can see how it's challenging because um, you're hopefully you're doing something that you love. You're trying to build this business where you get to do more of the stuff that you love. Um, and at the same time, it could easily grow into something where you end up kind of working yourself into this corner where you're not doing any, doing the things that you love because you're running this business at the same time. So I, you know, I can see how letting it grow organically, um, and you know, sort of at the same time, you're, you're, you might be shooting for the moon, but at the same time you're trying to, you know, control that ascent so that, um, so that you can keep your eye on, keep your eye on what you really want to be doing. For sure. For sure. And I think some things like, there's like different small decisions that happen kind of week to week that kind of lead to one or the other. Like one thing that's really interesting is like really diving into analytics. Um, and I think that's kind of like a good example of like someone who's really looking for growth or who's really looking for like impact. Um, is like when you start diving into analytics, it gets much more about like conversion and 
like these metrics that really matter for like our growth business. Yeah. But when you do things, but when you do things that you just like really care about, like that choose your truth campaign was something that we just felt like was like there was no like analytical decision behind it. It was just like, hey, these are people that really inspire us. So let's share their stories in a meaningful way. And there's no real quantifiable like even benefit in mind to begin with. Um, so yeah, I almost feel like every week you kind of end up making these micro decisions that if you make the same ones over and over and over again, then you kind of head down one of the two paths. And so I'd say for us still right now, it's like one week we are kind of like, like digging into the analytics, but the other week we're like, who is really fun that we can collaborate with? And there's no real reason behind it, except for that we think it'd be awesome. Yeah. I was, I remember reading, uh, one of your blogs as I was uh, researching and um, you had said, you know, success is almost about like it, success should be more of a measurement of like your happiness than what we think of it is like monetarily because you've met like a bunch of successful people. And that means to them like working 14 hours a week. <laughs> and so their lives suffer. Yeah. I mean, the balance is definitely really important and really something that you have to like work at all the time. Yeah. I really enjoyed that blog post. I was like, wow, that that's uh, eye opening. It kind of goes back to what you were just talking about the analyticals. Cause so many people, when they want to like grow, whether it's a startup or a business or a podcast, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's you, you look at all the success around you and you say, okay, well, like they obviously have like, um, 900,000 Twitter fans. So we have to get 900,000 Twitter fans. And it's not about the numbers and the conversion a lot of times. It's more about uh, the authenticity of what you're doing and whether you like it. Yeah, and just connecting with people has been like really, like that's almost as gratifying as some of the other things too. Just like, like I'm, I'm really pumped that like when we hire someone for a short little project or something, like I just like maintaining that relationship even afterward too. And so I think there's even things like that that like aren't as quantifiable that are beneficial in a lot of ways in the long term. Not only do I have someone that, that uh, I could work with again in the future, but also like that was just really fun and it felt good creating something uh, that was seen by people. So yeah, I, I agree. I think the number, even from the beginning, I don't know if the number has mattered as much as like just the response and what you feel like you're creating uh, for people. Well, and it, it, to go back to that idea about the numbers is it's it's probably less about the the absolute number like you know did i get 57 opens on that email did i get 300 opens on that email it's probably more about let's look at the long term are we are we trending in the right direction are we growing that you know are we growing those numbers um and are are they just spiking and like you said if you start looking at that every single day and you're trying to spike your number every single day, then you're going to start writing the, you know, the blog posts that are, you know, seven things you won't believe happened on Skype today yeah. or whatever. Uh, right. But if you look at the long-term trend, you can you can look at that to say, okay, the things we're doing right now are working. We're growing this number. That's good enough. So. For sure. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely definitely a good point. And. You know, we've had we've had some things where we were going down paths like that and actually kind of gut checked like, okay, this actually isn't smart for us. Let's like take a step back uh, and move in a different direction. Or like, what does our gut say about how this will affect our brand in the long term? And I think, you know, every kind of content creator online faced this dilemma of, should I create lots of content all the time or should I create really focused quality content? Uh, and I don't know if I have yeah. like the answer to that, but I think everybody faces that. Like, it's getting really noisy online. Should I just be churning out stuff all the time, or should I actually spend the spend the time to make something really quality? Um, and so, one thing that's been interesting with us is, and I think part of the success of our email list is we only email once a month. It actually went out yesterday, uh, but like literally only one time a month we email. And we basically asked ourselves before we email, is this like incredibly valuable to the people we're sending it to? And if it's not, then we don't send it. So 
we've had a lot of people be like, why aren't like you should email every week or like send us stuff all the time. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I, and I do think at some point we might increase, but it has been kind of interesting that we literally like we've sent like maybe 14 emails since we started or something. Like right. it's a pretty yeah. nice one. Um, but when we, well, you know, that campaign, that choose your truth campaign, well, it took us two months to put together. Um, so basically just for that one email that, and now it's on our blog. Um, so we've gone the route of only email people when it's really valuable, spend the time on like the small details, which is like band lettering, uh, done by Allie, uh, you know, making sure the story's consistent, making sure there's actually a good story. Uh, and then we also have, we've gone kind of down that route, but then we've also said kind of like this like Netflix model of like, when we put out content, let people binge on it instead of putting out small bits all the time. And so if you'll notice our blog, everything's in pieces of five. And we actually release that all at one time, typically. So uh, uh-huh. we have some more ideas like that in the future. So it's like, let's wait for a while, compile really good content, and then when we release it, people can then dig through all of it in you know that week. And then it's kind of done with until we release the next day. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting philosophy because it's you know sort of the opposite of what Paul was saying, you know, or you know, like let's post things like daily and <laughs> hourly, and and so a lot of people who still use RSS feeds and things like that are just getting inundated by all this content from the same, you know, the same with like a Twitter Twitter follower or something. You see, like they post like every hour. You're like, okay, maybe I need to quiet this feed down so I can read some of the other people. So the fact that like you get an email or you see a blog post from uh, death to the stock photo, like every once in a while, you're like, wait, I haven't heard from them in a while. Let me check this out. And how much better that your, um, you know, the people who are subscribed to your, uh, to your email list are like, you should do more of this as opposed to, another email from these guys you know that's the kind of yeah. thing that i make an email rule for so it goes somewhere where i can read it later whereas if i'm getting one a month i'm gonna be and it's great content i'm gonna be hungry for that every month and that is so much so, such a better interaction for you to have with uh you know your audience yeah and i think this is like another good example of where like the analytics stuff comes in that like makes you change your mind on things of like, Oh, well we could convert more if we, you know, send out more mail. And, and so, yeah, it is hard to like keep yourself to kind of that rule. I think like another interesting perspective on it too, is uh, kind of to try to make some of these things into like mini events. So like what we would love and, you know, I don't really consider this yet, but what we would love is like, the first of the month when we send our email, it's like a big event that people are ready for. Like kind of like a new release of a clothing line or something. Like we just want it to be something that a lot of people are ready for and kind of make it, yeah, a big like backdrop launch day essentially. Yeah. It's, I almost think it's more like a, um, a magazine instead of, you know, a, a newspaper where um you you know you're kind of waiting you're you love the content and you're waiting to get that thing in the mail instead of um you know wondering if you still have room in the recycle bin to throw it somewhere you know yeah yeah so i don't know like if this translates to other things or not i just try to work for us um but and it's something you know that we're still trying to like learn about but it is interesting to see i guess now looking back like if i were to count the number of emails we sent uh, it's just, yeah, I think it's probably like, I don't know, yeah, 14 to 16 total maybe. So it's been a year and a half. Sort of the, yeah, I was just going to say sort of the, uh, down the same sort of like, let's try something else path. Um, I know it's probably not, um, it doesn't have as much to do with uh, death of the stock photo as it does you personally. But uh, I also remember reading your blog that you basically quit uh, Facebook and became, as you said, a telemarketer. <laughs> oh yeah, which is even more real for uh, how we first chat when I, you know, called you up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the the move that way was honestly just more of like figuring out where I wanted to spend my time. Uh, and so that wasn't like so much about a specific network or anything like that or any hate. 
uh, on that. I mean, I'm pretty active on Twitter, so it's like kind of hypocritical. But uh, yeah, that's kind of goes down to where where am I going to spend my time? Uh, and when I spend my time there, is it going to be a quality use of that, or is it going to be just like kind of dabbling in each feed? Um, so I think that's another thing that like everybody struggles with. It's like, do I need to have a following on every single social media account? And oh wow, like this month, two new social platforms launch. Like, do I need to be big on those two? Um, it kind of gets back to that same topic. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I've always wondered too. You know, as soon as you end up joining, like Facebook is a great example. Then you have all these sort of. Uh, well, um, in my case, I'm a little bit older. So you have all these sort of people coming out of the woodwork from high school, like friending you and things. And it's like, it's, it's sort of interesting to see what those people are doing now. But there is sort of a part of me that feels similar to what you sort of expressed is that like, if there was like a meaningful relationship here, I don't think we would have ever lost contact in the first place. Yeah, and I'm also just like my personality. Like I'm a I'm a phone talker. I mean, we, we talk to phones. I don't know. I I just like to teach to that. So I think that's like part of the decision there. Um, but yeah, and I, I guess just in the context of like business, I think it's like a really good thing for for companies people to at least try every platform. Uh, we're actually like trying with that to talk about right now. We're actually trying Snapchat, uh, and so I don't really know you know what that's look like at this point, but. I think it's like smart to at least test out these things and then kind of take a step back and assess like, okay, are we going to actually follow through on being in quality here? And are we going to have like meaningful interactions with our community? Or is this just going to be like there and like used occasionally and just kind of part of the noise? Right. Yeah. It's uh the future will be interesting. One of the things that uh, I have found in my wanderings is a, um, it's uh, actually, uh, we've talked about it on our show before, but it's a protocol more than it is like a web app. So um, think of it like email. And um, so everyone has email. We both don't have to be on Gmail to communicate. I can send you an email to Hotmail. And so this protocol is called um, Tent. And their proof of concept was like a Twitter-like service. And so it's all done with a protocol. So technically, I could have my own tent server on my computer, and then I wouldn't be connected to any sort of website. And they're they're just at like version four, and their proof of concept is uh, called uh, cupcake.io or dot is actually cupcake dot is. And so it works just like Twitter in that form, but it, it is a protocol, like I said. So there's plenty of other options to do something with it, but that'd be an interesting solution instead of having all these different social networks that you think you may or may not have to belong to is to just be able to have like an entity and then communicate freely. Well, I think that's a great, like, start to things because I think the way I see things going is, like, I think networks that are hitting, like, the mass, like, Facebook, I don't know if we'll see too many more of, like, Facebook, basically, because I think Facebook was one of the last things that's really hitting the mass market. I actually think what we're going to see is all these little micro social networks uh, start popping up. So I actually like that concept because I think, we're just going to have, you know, hundreds of tiny social networks that are all within different little verticals uh, that only end up getting, you know, a million people total on each one, but they're all serving the needs of different communities. Uh, I saw, like, a really interesting writer's community social network, and I can't remember the name of it right now, uh, but they made they made all of the pages on it that people create just, like, dead simple um, it was just like links to your writing and like a little about me paragraph um, that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, and I don't know if you guys were able to check out Ello, but that's like you know a recent network that launched. Do you got? Did you guys make accounts on there? I I do have an account on there, and yeah, it uh, that it's interesting because it is a little bit minimal. Yeah, yeah, Ello. I can't tell you know the big difference between that and Tumblr. So I, I wasn't really sure exactly what to do on there, um, but there, there, I guess there must have been a need. I think they were saying that they were getting like 
can't remember, it was like 35,000 signups a day or something like that. So there is, I guess there's clearly some type of interest for, for those type of other options. Yeah, I think there's still a, um, I think there's still a Facebook backlash with every, you know, rollout of, oh, we changed the algorithm on your timeline, or we changed um, our privacy settings for the fifth time this month. Um, and so I, I do think that there's a little bit of that, but I, I also feel like, I don't, I don't know if Elo, like what section that came out of? Um, it seems like uh, it caught it caught on fire with certain communities, which of course is usually how these social networks grow, right? Um, Facebook was was because they were college only at first was really big on college campuses um, before it became this public thing. So, um, but it's. It, I like your I like your idea of the you know Facebook may be the last you know sort of giant consolidated social network because I think of it almost like uh, the TV networks where you had these giant TV networks because everybody could get them over the air and then with the propagation of cable and cable becomes cheap enough that it's practical to have all of a sudden you have this. Uh, explosion of hundreds of cable channels um, and you know the joke is uh, hundreds of channels and nothing's on but re- really what that means is hundreds of channels and two or three of them speak to me and the rest of them are all for somebody else and that is probably what's going to happen with these social networks there's going to be hundreds of social networks two or three of them might be for me and my audience might be on them um, and maybe the technology is a little bit different where, like on Twitter, I choose who I follow uh, so people don't just inundate me um, without my, you know, without my kind of consent. I follow them intentionally. Um, but to your point, I think there is going to be a, a real specialization, and I like that sort of uh, thinking about it as the technology matures, as the Internet matures. Yeah, I think the cable example is actually a really great metaphor because when you look at what Facebook's doing right now, they're actually similar to cable and that they're building infrastructure. So, like, their next move is actually helping spread Internet global so that they can get more people on Facebook. The same way cable had to set up cable networks, you know, nationally to spread that. So I actually think that's a really good analogy. But, yeah, I, it's probably already happening. I mean, if you look at, like, Vine, you know, that hit yeah. a certain peak, but it kind of tapped out. But there are some very, you know, serious people who love love that network. Um, and there's been some other similar moves just like that. And so I wonder if we're already kind of seeing the beginnings of, like, high growth, but only to a certain extent. Sure. Uh, and, you know, we'll keep seeing little loops. So maybe that's a really cool thing that there's a lot of new opportunities there. But I think you guys are actually onto something. I mean, I think podcasting is also just going to be much bigger than it is now, the same way blogging kind of grew. Uh, so there's huge in that in this space too. Yeah, we're hoping. I mean, uh, podcasting is another one of those uh, mediums where there's a specialization, and you get to choose who you follow, and you you get very specific content that you are that you are interesting interested in, and um, you know you're not. You may be paying for it directly, like with something along the lines of Patreon, or maybe it's um, it's sponsored. Um, but either way, you know, you're sort of opting into this content that you really like, uh, as opposed to um, just having to kind of surf around to see what's out there uh, and flipping channels until you find that thing that's that's talking to you. How uh, how crowded have you guys felt like the space has been for you? I'm just curious. Uh, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I would say uh, I would say it's uh, it de- it depends on your content, really. Ultimately, <laughs> like like with most of these things, right? Um, so I think if we were on here just trying to be a general technology podcast and talking about tech news, um, I don't think there's really space there, unless you have a really unique take on technology. Um, or maybe if you're talking to a mass market that doesn't really quite exist yet on, in podcasting, like you say, it is growing, so that'll that'll get there eventually. Um, but 
I do think that there's a, there's room sort of in the niche that we found with Montreal sauce where um, you're talking to people who are making things and honestly, some of them are struggling to make things and, and help themselves get known and others are really successful. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of people out there and it is a niche, but there's a lot of people out there that are hungry for that kind of content. Um, so it's um there's a there's a ton of shows out there and i think you're struggling more with discovery than um than like dilution um it's itunes isn't the greatest way to discover podcasts unfortunately um and there's a number of other sort of methods for that but again you it's it's like the social network example how do you get yourself onto all of them so that the people who are trying to find you can find you there um and do they need to and are those the is that the right channel for them to find you on um yeah lots of questions Chris, what do you, you Chris what do you think or like how have you felt like this has been um, I do think that it's kind of crowded. I mean, for example, we are working, um, we have one show in the can, as we would say, um, for another podcast where we're watching bad movies and there's a lot of shows like that already. So I do feel, um, like it is, uh, crowded a little bit, but, yeah, to Paul's point, I think it comes down to like discovery. It's uh, so many people, I think, from maybe the generation before mine and mine think that podcasts are only going to like Apple iPods, like because of that sort of branding. <laughs> so, so finding like um, oh, discovering podcasts becomes very difficult, I think, for the audience in general. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's it's like a challenge then to then find an audience. Um, and so that's, I think, why I was intrigued by some of your suggestions. And then um, you suggested Paul Jarvis to me because, you know, um, it's just it's about um, maybe sticking with your own network of um, friends and um, promoting it sort of that way rather than trying to, you know, get that overnight success rags to riches that everyone um, loves to hear that story. But typically it's not true at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's still, it's still really new. And so, I mean, obviously the best time you could start was yesterday. So I think it's good. You guys are kind of already in there, but I think as like, more tools become available for yeah people to to surf through and and dig a little bit and as you guys kind of perfect the way uh, that you guys talk on the show the the stories that you're trying to tell the angle you're coming from I, yeah I think it only kind of develops you know into quality with time and uh, one one like podcast example that's pretty interesting I'm not sure if you guys ever listened to it before uh, and I believe his name is Dan Carlin have you have you guys heard of Hardcore History. I have heard of that podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but it's on my list of things to uh, check out sometime. Yeah, he's got like a four-part series called Wrath of the Cons, and basically what he does <laughs> is he like nerds out on just like history and history lessons. Um, and so what he does is he honestly spends months researching uh, and months recording one show at a time or a series of shows. They're all like one to three hours long. And it's basically just one guy telling like history stories, but he's so good and he knows so much about it. And it's just like really fascinating stuff. And I definitely recommend uh, giving that a listen, but it's just kind of interesting because that's kind of an example of someone who's doing it slightly different. Whereas like, you know, his thing is like, I'm going to make this series. It's going to like basically kill me to put together because I have to talk for, you know, two hours of just straight talking. There's a lot of things that you can edit in there. He has to get all the facts right, historical dates. Um, so he just really puts in the effort, uh, but it definitely comes through. And I think that's like kind of an interesting medium. And I actually wonder, like, as we see uh, shows like House of Cards and stuff like that, it almost reminds me of, you know, podcasting. What if podcasting becomes more like 
enthralling storytelling medium, kind of like a show. And basically, we revert back to old radio, you know, in like the 50s, and people would sit around the radio for hours and listen to stories. Like, that's kind of how I felt when I was listening to his history podcast. So I'm curious to see if we'll see really high-end production on podcasts as well. Yeah, the I was listening to uh, something recently. Um, it might have been just the Nerdist, but it's interesting um, how, like, comedians have found new life in podcasting because you know we went through the 80s where like the club scene was it and like if you wanted to do comedy you had to go to LA and you had to be in the clubs and then those guys all matured and ended up like getting sitcoms in the 90s and then sort of like comedy just sort of you know you get to do your special on Comedy Central maybe once and then how do you like keep an audience engaged besides touring? And so now there's all these people like Gilbert Godfrey and, you know, Mark Macon and all these guys doing like podcasts. Oh, there's such, I mean, I think that's a great topic because comedians have, comedians are killing it right now on like every network. Like Vine is run by, I mean, anybody, they don't even have to be like famous comedians. Vine is run by people making really hilarious content. YouTube, I mean, there's tons of people who run very successful businesses just basically making really funny videos on YouTube. I mean, Snapchat, you're starting to see that too. And so, uh, and this is like a, a Gary Vaynerchuk thing that I think is really interesting. But basically, you know, there's kind of a few ways to stand out on, on these different platforms. And comedy is an easy one because you're not interrupting people when you're writing their day. Um, and so actually one thing we think about uh, when we look at like our social strategy when it comes to Twitter and, and Instagram is a lot of brands also see that too. And so brands will try to be witty and funny uh, with just the content they put out or the responses to people. Um, and what Gary Vaynerchuk will say, and I kind of agree with this too, is because everybody's going for the comedy witty play, uh, if you want to be better to move back to like more human connection or like, empathetic uh, type content. So we actually try to stay away from more comedic type content and go for like emotional type content. But uh, I guess back to the, the point you're making earlier is yeah, comedians have free reign right now on a lot of different networks. They're, they're all, I think, very successful on these. Yeah, you make a good point though. It's like one of those, it's kind of like you're saying, it's a, <clears throat> it's a very large um, uh, pool that you've dipped into when you decide that, hey, I'm going to be the funny guy on Twitter because there's lots of people like that that aren't even celebrities. So um, yeah. so that's good to be a, a contrast to that for sure. Um, well, it's just an easy, I think it's an easy value add. Like everyone's trying to figure out how do we not interrupt people with advertising? How do we actually like improve their experience on these networks? and therefore, you know, gaining their trust. And so comedies are just a really easy way to do that because making someone laugh is like a benefit to their life. And I think that's why we've seen just comedians in general do well on every network. Uh, and then that's the play that all brands are making. And so it's just a different way. Yeah, we, we just try to kind of go the opposite route because there's a little bit more of a drought of people who know how to be empathetic via social media. And I would say the thing about that too is it can um, when a when a a brand or corporation um, does try to play does try to play the funny but uh, it doesn't work um, that can be some of the most tragic um, branding mistakes that you can see out there too is like know your audience know what's going to play and you know. <laughs> don't don't hit anything that's too sensitive, right? We give comics a big pass on a lot of on a lot of those things, kind of depending on who they are and the kind of the kind of humor that they can get away with. Um, and honestly, um, what they're selling you is comedy. So if it's not for you, you could go find a different comic that's more your style. But a brand has to be really careful about when they do apply that humor, like. Um, I think Old Spice and Budweiser do a really good job with their, you know, Super Bowl commercials and all of their kind of funny advertisements. Um, but 
there's a lot of things that they would not be able to do and and actually get away with that i i think it's interesting to see brands try the try the com, try their hand at the comedy card and sometimes fail miserably and and get catch a backfire because of that yeah um, i agree i i will say uh speaking of comedians uh, i was actually going to um blog about this uh on my blog which i haven't touched in a while unfortunately but um speaking of comedians and doing something different i uh i've recently been turned on to gilbert godfrey's podcast and he's really a huge fan of like old movies and old movie stars and old comedians and that's who he gets on the show and i don't know that i even remember the guest that he had but uh i'm do you, both of you familiar with the um, card game Cards Against Humanity? Mm-hmm. Yep. So they decided to sponsor his show. And doing something different, Cards Against Humanity said, we aren't giving you any copy to read. Instead, we would like you to read the speech of the president in Independence Day. <laughs> so Gilbert Godfrey... That's pretty awesome. Is like shouting the lines that Bill Paxton reads in Independence Day before they go kill the aliens. And it's like the I totally remembered that spot and I just totally told both of you about the product because I remembered oh, it. Yeah. I was like, that is the best ad I've ever heard. <laughs> Speaking of like best ads, do you guys know uh comedians and cars getting coffee? Yes. It's excellent. Yeah. But- Phenomenal, phenomenal show. Uh, yeah, basically Jerry Seinfeld, uh, you know, putting on a show where he just interviews a comedian uh, in a car and then getting coffee. But I don't know if you've seen the episode where it's, it's essentially the whole show is sponsored by Acura. And so throughout the show, they have product placement, but they always, like, purposefully talk about the product placement. Like, there's one episode where they're walking down the street and an Acura pulls up and, like, almost bumps them. And they're like, oh, what's that? And they're like, oh, that's our product placement. It's a bit pushy today. And, like, they just acknowledge it. And it's just such a genius way to incorporate it. And I almost feel like other people can't do it now because they just own that, like, side of things where now they purposely show all their product placements in a very blatant way and talk about it. Uh, But, yeah, I thought that was another really genius way to incorporate. Um. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that, except uh, I remember that episode as well. But also, um, since I am here in Canada, I should plug the Canadian version of that, which is um, uh, Dead Mao gets in a super his supercar and like takes a celebrity to Tim Hortons, and they. Film <laughs> Are you? It. I have never heard of that. That is phenomenal. Is that yeah. sponsored by Tim Hortons? I I don't even know if it's sponsored by them to be honest. It's just hilarious. He just like gets in a car with like four GoPro cameras and he goes and picks up a celeb and then they get in line at Tim Hortons like in the drive up. <laughs> oh man. What is so good about that is like that's a great example of two different things where you can just describe in like one sentence what it is and it's so interesting and like out there that you'll know right away whether you're going to build an audience yet or not. It's like, let's take, you know, yeah, let's just compile all these random ass pieces together and basically see if people respond. And clearly they do. And I just like that because I'm going to go watch that based on just the theme. (laughs) Like, that's amazing. And that's how powerful just that like script is almost. Uh, I think there's probably a lot more room for people to get a little weirder with some of their concepts because that's really intriguing. Yeah, a, another podcast that I've talked about on the show that I find intriguing um, is called uh, The Futility Closet and sort of like the hardcore history one you were talking about. They um, they talk about some sort of like curiosity that happened in history Um, some sort of strange event and when I say they what I find really endearing about it is it's a husband and wife team and so again it's like sort of a unique like you get to listen to a couple talk about something they research together and it's quite it's a different concept (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean there's just it, it just shows that like 
you can combine, I mean, you can combine a lot of different things and find an audience. I mean, the Tim Hortons thing is like, is that like techno DJ fans? And then, you know, people who just like other celebrities, people who like interviews. I mean, you're really mashing together an interesting niche. For sure. Yeah. And, um, like you said, it's about engaging audiences and, uh, sort of like going back to death stock photo, um, we sort of, uh, breezed over our first conversation, but, uh, I mean, the whole reason that, uh, you initially called me was to call people who use the product. And that's another sort of unique way that, uh, I don't think people are engaging their audiences by like directly phoning them like you have done. Yeah, there's actually a good, uh, story. I don't know if you guys read like James on teacher's blog. Uh, but he talks about one of his first blog posts that got popular. This was like, I don't even know, maybe 15 years ago or something. But people had commented on it for the first time, and he never got comments before. And he actually looked the people up online because he was so happy that they commented and called them that day and, like, thanked them for commenting on his post. And they were just so blown away. Uh, but actually, he ended up doing a business deal with that guy, like, five or six years down the road or something. So just, like, a really funny story. But... There's definitely like a lot of direct ways to interact with your audience. Um, one thing we're kind of hoping to do is, and, and I've actually hosted one before, a touching Instagram meetup uh, that I'm going to on Saturday. But I mean, you can just host meetups. Like when I was in New York City, uh, I actually went to a Buffer meetup. Are you guys familiar with Buffer, uh, like the social media sharing platform? Yes. So I, I happened to be in New York City at the time, uh, but they were just hoping, hosting like a little happy hour. Uh, so I actually went and met the whole Buffer team. And so every time they go somewhere as a team, they always just let other people come see that. Uh, I think it's like a really smart strategy, just getting like face-to-face time with anybody. Um, I really enjoy just talking with their team. But yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of ways that people can connect, not via the internet or at least via phone uh, or some other interesting ways like that. Yeah, um, one of our previous guests, uh, Sally Ann, um, she does things with uh, recycled uh, fabrics. She makes other clothings and uh, accessories. And she started out like on Etsy and was very successful. And then um, now she's got a small trailer that her and her boyfriend have fixed up and she goes to an art market every Saturday and sells her things there. So she's sort of like reversed sort of the the trajectory there where she started out online and now she's going to find an audience like out there and having like real connections with people. Yeah, I mean, you can go find your audience directly if you want to uh, and if you're like I guess able to get past that fear one thing that's been interesting so the reason I called you uh, is right now what we're doing is we're trying to do basically at least once a month we 10 phone calls 10 phone calls a month uh, with either customers or potential customers uh, and so at first you know it's pretty uncomfortable just to call people you've never met before or only exchange like one email with uh, and so it's kind of hard for you to get over that at first. Uh, and even just asking, like sending an email saying, like, hey, just sign up to my newsletter. Can I call you? Uh, it's kind of like a hard thing to even send that email. Um, and I'm only slowly getting better at it. Uh, but it's definitely been really beneficial. And I think it can be beneficial in other ways than just the business. Uh, case in point, like us all chatting right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask, like, how often is that a is that a thing that you do, and and how recently did you start it, and are there other? I guess are there other interesting um, interactions that you've had uh, as a result of this kind of? Hey, I'm going to reach out and just uh, have a chat with you. Yeah, so I'd say it's something that we started. I think you know a month and a half, two months ago. It's something we'll likely do for the life of the entire business. Um, I learned a little bit uh, from actually Mailchimp, who is our like our email client. They do this, and they actually have like a team of people who their full time job is to both speak with on the phone and actually go meet in person uh, and like watch people use their products. 
Uh, and so they, they kind of constantly do that, and that's just like part of their core business. And so that's something we're kind of trying to adopt. Uh, and so it's been interesting to talk with them, uh, you know, someone who does it all the time. As far as like other interesting interactions, I wouldn't say I have any, any of that like serious, except for a lot of them end up with us talking just like candidly about what we're both working on. Um, kind of like me and Chris just talked about podcasting a bit. I've had some other people who are launching their own products that like I signed up for the beta or they have emailed me since just asking for feedback. So things that just like aren't even related. Uh, and one thing we like, we try to do with that black photo is definitely like, like a lot of times when we email, uh, when we email people, we just say like, Hey, like let us know if there's anything else we can help you with. Like, even if you just want to chat design or photography, like we just like mention that. And it's something we like definitely mean. Um, and so people, like if people emailed us wanting to talk about like, Hey, like I'm thinking about not buying a new camera or, you know, I'm thinking about getting this field. Like, what do you think? We're kind of, our perspective is like our business is basically just trying to empower creatives to do a better job or be more able to create. So like, honestly, anything that fits in with that, like we're happy to do because that's kind of the mission we set out to do. That's, uh, that's awesome. That is such a fun interaction to have. And I'm sure that that's the kind of thing too, where, um, it it encourages your it encourages your audience to keep kind of talking about you and spreading uh, a little bit more word of mouth because now you're real people that they're interacting with. You're not just a you know you're not a brand. You're not a corporation that they you know are are, are mildly aware of and they get an email from once in a while. You're um, you know a person who's saying hey we're here to help you and and we want to help you we want to know what you're interested in so we can we can do better stuff for you and at the same time uh here's a little bit of here's a little bit more stuff about us and let's have a conversation an actual conversation about it not a not a social media conversation about it a i'm going to call you on the phone and let's talk this thing through so that we can be a better business for you <clears throat> Yeah, and I think people are, like, not used to it because they're just jaded from, like, other interactions. Uh, so it's, like, you know, we say a lot, like, in a lot of different emails, like, hey, let us know how we can help. And I just think most people will just assume that that's not, like, a real offer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, honestly, honestly, I don't even know how you break through that. Like, maybe you just can't. Um, but I think the people that do respond are surprised when it actually ends up being, like, a real thing. Uh, instead of like just like saying it to sound like care. No, that's a really good point. I mean, we are, I was going to say like we are totally jaded when, you know, we have so many false promises out there of uh, help or assistance. And then it's like, uh, you know, a call center or something like that. It's not a person. <laughs> um, it's a machine that you're talking to. I mean, that that's what hit home for me was I sent an email and said, you know, I'm not receiving the photo packs from Death to Stock Photo anymore. Uh, I don't know what happened. And I get an email and it's from, um, you know, David at Death to the Stock Photo. And I was like, wait, isn't that like the person's name on there? <laughs> So, yeah, I was super impressed when I, like, saw that the email was actually from a person whose name was on the company. Uh, so I was just like, okay, this is totally different. Your brand, I guess, is, like, the continuity that, like, your brand just sets an expectation. Uh, and when you follow through with an expectation, I think that's a lot of good interaction. Uh, and so... I mean, one, I think it's good to set that expectation that you're going to go above and beyond. Uh, but two, I think you have to follow through with it. Uh, yeah, that's like what surprises people and gives them like kind of like a delightful interaction instead of a negative one. So uh, you've obviously uh, made a lot of connections uh, working like this. Um, do you, Can you think of, this is like the... Uh, you know, the serious interview question. Uh, do you, is there any sort of uh, trait that you admire in people? Uh, I'd say I admire that people are willing to get on the phone at all. Uh, so I think <laughs> people are pretty trusting. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. And the other thing is like, whenever we screw up, like whenever like a bug happens or something like that, I'm always like, you know, pretty scared that people are going to be really serious. And honestly, everyone's like really positive. 
Um, and we, we, I mean, we get like people who write mean emails and we get like, you know, haters and stuff like that. Like that is common, but at the same time, like everyone's pretty trusting of us and everyone's pretty flexible and positive. Like if something's wrong with an account and we're trying to fix it, like we never, and maybe, maybe it's partly the way we handle things, but like, honestly, everyone is really like positive. Uh, but I think that's like been really interesting is just that people are really trusting they're going to hop the phone, they're willing to give time, and then when we screw up, like they don't get really pissed about it. Yeah, uh, speaking of uh, really great uh, people and trusting people, uh, uh, apologize to your friend who's traveling with you because we're, we're bogarting a bunch of your time. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, it's totally fine. It's a six-hour drive, so we're, we're right. uh, it's not a problem. And this is like, you know, I, I guess this is a good thing too, but like just trying to figure out how to work on the road is something I've not good at yet. Uh, I'm trying to learn more about. Um, I was in Chicago last week and definitely did not get as much done for that bike. And I think like a lot of times it's just time to transit. Like, you know, I wake up and I want to go to a coffee shop, but in a big city, it might take me 40 minutes just to get there. That's like 40 minutes I could spend working. So one thing I'm just trying to get good at is like scheduling and also finding the time to get work done uh, when you're, yeah, not, not set up in an office. Yeah, I uh, I had difficulties with that uh, this summer for sure, um, and it was even more difficult traveling, quote unquote, internationally because I returned to the states, so I didn't have you know service readily available in case I didn't have Wi-Fi. So I completely understand how difficult that can be, and like you said, scheduling it out as well. Um, well, thanks for being flexible today, too. I mean, you know, I appreciate, like, you guys just wanted to be like, yeah, okay, we can do phone, you know, because it's, yeah, it's, you have to find time and you have to kind of just make it work, basically. Well, and it was a uh, it was a fun experiment on my end as well because I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I know how I can patch my phone into the into the uh, audio rig here, but I haven't had anybody to test it on yet. So uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks for being our guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. So, yeah, we can kind of, like, wrap things up here. I don't know if you guys have any more, like, just kind of final questions that you want to go through or anything. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, thanks so much again for being flexible with that and also just for having me. I was, I was going to ask you, um, mm-hmm. as you've been traveling, I can't remember uh, if I read it on Twitter or you had posted a picture that I saw somewhere maybe on your blog that you were – like hanging out uh, at uh, another startup. And uh, I was just wondering if there was some sort of like secret society where you guys all wear rings and you can just like go uh, crash at another startup. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I think what's cool about this industry, and I'm sure you guys even see it from the podcasters and stuff, is everyone's just so down to help. Uh, everyone's really open and just sharing things. Uh, and a lot of people like just know what it's like. So, I, I don't know. I found it pretty easy just to reach out to people uh, in different places and just say, like, hey, can we meet up? Can I stop by? Like, I'm looking for a place to work today. Can I work at your office? Like, I don't know. I, I guess, like, that's what I've learned is if you just ask, like, most people respond a lot more positively than you think. You know, kind of like I was scared to ask people to hop on the phone uh, and then people are saying yes. So I'd say no secret society, although... If you do it'll be another niche social network. We'll get it started. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I you know, and sometimes you don't get responses and stuff. But I guess it's worth a shot. Like, uh, yeah, it's just, it adds it adds some some benefit when you're in a place to be able to talk to people from there. Uh, and then if you meet with them, you can say, hey, who else is this cool to with? And then they you know send you to somebody else. Yeah, I mean, uh, I do remember you had a blog post on small talk and uh, the difficulties of that, yeah. and and it's it's the same thing. Like I'm started to realize as uh, I'm producing both of these podcasts, it's like, um, okay, here's my short list of people I want to have as guests, and I'm like, so you know, why don't I ask? people I don't really know that well because uh, all they can do is say no and what is that going to do to me? It means I have to find another guest. Like I shouldn't be like terrified to ask, you know, 
some somebody that may be uh, at a celebrity status or just at a status that I don't think would want to talk to me because, like you said, people are much more open than you think. Yeah, for sure, especially when you approach it in a genuine way. Well, I mean, if you guys are coming to I mean, I know you would, but, like, if you're coming from a place of just being, like, genuine with your story and authentic, I mean, people notice that and they can, like, feel it in the way – your, you've written your email, like what you said, uh, and yeah, I think they're more open uh, than you expect, so I definitely think that's true. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time tonight, David. Um, where uh, where would you like people, if they haven't already figured it out by now and listening to the podcast, <laughs> where do you want people to uh, find you on the internet? Sure, so uh, you can check us out on, like, on Twitter, and that's at stock. Uh, and uh, my Twitter handle is at DavidCherry36. Uh, and then they can just go to deathswiftstockphoto.com if they want to check that out. Uh, I write a weekly email called Gold List. Um, comes out every Wednesday if they want to do that personal writing stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm serious about what I said earlier. If anybody wants to shoot us an email or shoot me a personal email, uh, please do so. I'll respond uh, and try to help as best I can. So don't be scared to do that. That's awesome. Thanks again for being on tonight. Yeah, thanks yeah, so much. Yeah, no, it, it was fun. And yeah, yeah, yeah I, I appreciate you being flexible. And, and thanks so much. I'm excited to keep listening. And yeah, thanks again. Drive safe and enjoy the Insta meetup. Yeah, we'll do. All right. We'll thanks, see guys. you. Thanks. Bye. Beep. Boop, boop, boop.